Inherently Happy, Episode 6, Emotional Honesty. Emotional honesty starts and can end, if that's your choice, with you. It merely entails owning up to those things you are afraid of, feel guilty about, make you mad, sad, glad, hopeful, and whatever else. It's those things that you might not face or even want to, but once confronted, can reveal new levels of emotional health and stuff like that. So, for example, do you like to dress up as a pink bunny with a costume from the movie A Christmas Story? Is that the costume that defines you as a person, soft and pink and bunny-like? No? Well, that's just me then. Okay. I don't mind admitting that because I spent a hundred bucks on that costume and just winning third place in a Halloween contest isn't enough, so I started a video series called Ask a Pink Bunny Anything. You can find it online. There's a song, too. Or maybe you cry at sad movies, but you don't ever tell people that. As long as you know, then you're at least being emotionally honest with yourself. Maybe you leave others before they can leave you in a relationship. Maybe you argue with everyone to prevent them from taking advantage of you. Maybe you wish you could be free to let your freak flag fly, but worry about repercussions that you know will most definitely repercuss. It is, of course, helpful to share emotional honesty, but you are under no obligation to do so. The only thing you have to do is be honest with yourself. That is, if you want to cultivate emotional honesty. If you don't, then feel free to stop listening and go about your merry, unexamined day. If you do keep listening, then I shall provide more personal examples of what I mean. Some very personal. You'll learn a lot about me in the course of these episodes. It's the tools I have to work with, and no, I'm not calling you a tool. But my forthrightness may help inspire you to take the same journey with yourself. So, what do I feel guilty about? Well, when I'm not helping where I can, then I feel bad. But if I can't help, then I don't beat myself too much either. Don't beat myself up too much either. I used to lash out at people and insult and swear because I was an angry kid for a lot of years. I started out good, and then I went bad, and then I came back to good. So I feel bad for all the people I lashed out at. But I have actually sought those people out and not only apologized, but actually tried to make up for it by being kind, friendly, and helpful. And they have forgiven me, they say. And I mean, I believe them because they're nice back. Some people I have lost forever. And want nothing, and they want nothing more to do with me, and I don't blame them. But I try not to make that same mistake again. What else? What am I afraid of? I guess I'm afraid that my help is pointless, that no one will find any benefit, and I'm not adding anything of value to anyone's lives, including my own, that I'll never make anything of myself. I used to fear all sorts of things during my low childhood years that don't bother me quite so much now. I used to be afraid of the dark, death, ghosts, Gods, monsters, heights, storms, bugs, 
animals, frostbite, sunburns, even peanut butter. Yep, I had a weak stomach for a long time. And any foods that produced phlegm or made it hard to swallow ran the risk of making my eyes water, stuffing up my nose, making me gag, and eventually vomit. So if I had sticky peanut butter clogging up my throat, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Now, however, I like the dark. Death makes me think of dreaming, which I love. Ghosts have never shown themselves to me despite my spending ages talking to gravestones in the cemetery at the end of my street growing up. Monsters have likewise been unforthcoming. Except human ones. Those guys suck. Heights fascinate me. Storms exhilarate me. Bugs make me curious. Animals are amazing. Frostbite and sunburns are preventable and usually survivable. And peanut butter is one of my favorite things to eat. Also, I'm not afraid of being afraid of things. Not anymore. Like meeting new people or public speaking. Because even if I am nervous, I don't let that stop me. Because, to be honest, I'm kind of high strung as a general rule. So why should new fears change my behavior? You can get used to anything, I reckon. And a little bit of fear can really focus you. Now, that's not to say I run around touching hot stoves and looking to jump off of buildings. I've had my heart broken, just shattered. Where the stable foundation you knew you could always count on up and destroys you with no more thought than throwing away a sandwich after only a few bites. But I still am open to meeting and loving someone again. Well, after a fashion. I don't feel the need to bounce back immediately taking some time to regroup. I used to be afraid of gays, gay people. Well, not only them, but but that I might secretly be one of them and not know it. And one glance, one gay gaze from the gays would reveal it to the world. I didn't know what to do. So I had to ask myself a tough question. Am I attracted to members of my own sex? Well, no, but what if I just haven't met the gay for me. Maybe I'm just choosy. Okay? Am I attracted to members of the opposite sex? Well, yeah, but then I could be bi. Am I holding out for the perfect gay? I don't think so. So, if you aren't attracted to members of your own sex, then you aren't gay. If you are attracted to members of your own sex, then you are gay. If you are somewhere on the spectrum then you're just like everybody else. People aren't all one thing and none of the other. But if your immediate answer is that you aren't attracted to members of your own sex, then you can consider the matter settled. Homophobia is not the fear of other gay people. It's the fear of the gay tendencies within yourself. And if somewhere down the line you meet your perfect gay and feel something, then you can readjust your self-image then. No need to fear the future that may never come. As a As it were, as it were, come, I get it. I'm reading this because I ramble. I used to fear ridicule, being mocked and called out for being stupid and wrong and ugly and creepy and gross. But that didn't stop the bullying. So might as well put yourself out there if hiding doesn't help. They tortured me and turned my own name against me. I had a weak stomach after my most unfortunate growth spurt. I went from cute, blonde, and rosy-cheeked 
with an ador with adorable little teeth to pale, sickly, lanky, buck-toothed goof with hair the color of a leaden cloud. They called me Goof. Goofry Allbarf. And eventually, just the Goof. Like that was my name. My title. Even teachers thought that that was my name and said it politely. Hey, Goof. Like they were friendly. I had to say, you know, that's not my name, right? They, they must have thought that it was like, oh, yeah, I know. He doesn't mind when people call him Goof. He likes it. I fucking hated it. But it got to be a point where fighting it every fucking second. But if a teacher used it, I had to just turn and like give him a side eye and be like, you know, that's not my name, right? Oh, oh, many of them didn't. But that's how super saturated my infamy had become. I had stage fright and a fear of the public because of all that shit. But I was determined to change schools and reinvent myself. It, 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 grades like third through sixth were hell because it was in the same grade school. Kindergarten through like first grade were glorious. I was so popular. Second grade was like a transition year. I got bit by the dog, and so people were like, ooh, cool. My hair started to turn brown. Nobody really noticed because I had the cool scar on my neck. But by third grade, I didn't have the scar. I mean, I had the scar, but I didn't have the wound. And the hair was brown and the buck teeth and the growth spurt, and it was just, yeah, it all, all came to fuck all. And, oh, I lost my place. Uh, change school. Oh, yeah, I wanted to change school. Go, go to, like, I tried to get out of grade school uh, in sixth grade. Like, after fifth grade, I was like, I can't take this anymore. So, like, I tried to get into a private school because my parents allowed me to. And I applied, and I did not get in. So I had to go back to sixth grade. I was a senior, and you're like, oh, that should be good. But that's when they started calling me the goof. Like, up to then, it was just goof. But then it was the goof. And it was like, ah, fuck, you know? And that's when, like, I got excluded from a class party. I'm going off book here. I got excluded from a class party. So the class clown was not me. I was shy. I was. I tried to be funny to make friends, but I was better one-on-one. -on -one. But the class clown was popular. He would make, you know, jokes that would make fun of the teacher and the teacher would laugh and like he was just popular. And he was one of the rich kids, okay? We lived in a town that there was an actual dividing line, a road that divided the up the hill and the down the hill people. You know, we didn't consider ourselves up or down the hill. But on the other side of that line, the streets started going up hills. And then the houses started getting bigger and bigger. And below that road, um, it was flat. And, you know. And so this was one of the rich kids. Not one of the super rich kids, but he was, you know, he's class clown. So he's on a border himself. You know, so he had to try to get his popularity going too. And he invited me to his house one time, and I, I thought that was great. I thought that was so cool. And he thought I was funny, and he said, oh, I should, you know, he tried to encourage me to tell the cool kids some of my jokes and do my impersonations and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't want to, you know, they're too cool, and they, I don't think they like me and stuff like that. Oh, no, they, they, they would think it was funny, they, you know, they, like it worked for him. And I appreciated him doing that. And then, you know, senior year, and it's getting near the end of the year and everything like that. And 
And so he invited me to hang out with him on a Saturday. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Thanks so much. You know, and I rode my bike up there. And I was glad to get out of my house because it was not great living in my house either. You know, when I was cute and popular, awesome. People fought over trying to play with me. And and mothers would tell their daughters how cute they thought I was. And girls would kiss me. And, you know, it was great. It was great. You don't even know how great it was. It was great. But that after that, they all distanced themselves from me. People that I thought were my friends. My own sister turned on me. My brother. My parents were, like, disappointed in me all the time because I wasn't applying myself or whatever the fuck their shit was. I don't know. And so it was just a miserable experience. A miserable existence. And uh, so I spent a lot of time alone, self-reflecting and thinking about things and watching movies. That was my solace. And TV shows and books and all that sort of thing. And trying to be creative and trying to be funny. Because funny people got, got away with stuff, you know. Pretty people got away with stuff. And I was pretty. I was I was cute. And, and I got away with all sorts of shit. And then I got ugly and I didn't get away with anything. So I'm like, maybe I can be funny. Then I can get away with stuff again, you know. Or people just leave me alone. And so I went to his house on the Saturday. They invited me. And I was like, this is great. This is great. I got out of my house. I got an excuse. I can go into a place. You know, they're not wondering where I am. They're not trying to take me to places and do stuff. And the family is just not bugging me. And this is great. And I can spend the whole afternoon there. And I can get away from my house. And it's awesome. And then when it starts to get dark, I can go to the cemetery at the end of the street. And just relax there. And it just be great. But when I got there, there was nobody home. I was like, ah. Oh. Did I get here too early? No, I'm on time. That's weird. I mean, I'm a little early, but not that early. And so I waited. And I waited. And I waited for an hour and like 45 minutes. Um, you can do you can do a lot of thinking in an hour and 45 minutes. You can do a lot of thinking in 20 minutes. Hell, you can do a lot of thinking in 11 minutes. So I did a lot of 11 minutes of thinking. And eventually his mom showed up. She'd seen me there before. So she was like, oh, hey, how you doing? She called me Jeff. Because that's my fucking name. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was wondering, you know, is he here and everything like that? And she's like, oh, no, he's at the party. I was like, oh, huh? what party? And she was like, yeah, the party, you know, the class party. And I was like, class party. Now, I was in a classroom that had only like 30 or 40 people. Okay. There was the other classroom that had sixth graders was a sixth grade and fifth grade combination class. So they had like 60 or 70 people. But we were in like the the close-knit kind of group. And I was not super popular in that group, but everybody knew me as the goof. And I did not like that. And now I find out that everybody had conspired against me, including who I thought was my friend. But he didn't tell his mom that because moms don't like that kind of stuff. And no one expected me to wait an hour and 45 minutes to find out the truth. But I did. And instead of going home, I went to crash the fucking party. You bet your dick. And now this was a rich house, okay? His house was just barely up a hill. I had to go nearly to the top of a steep motherfucking, like two miles up hill on my bike. And when you're, like, determined, you can do it. Your legs are burning, your lungs are aching, and you're, as you pump down one pedal, you're twisting the bike to one side and then the other, and you're just wobbling it back and forth and back, and barely going faster than a walk. And sometimes I had to walk it, because it's just too fucking steep. 
But I finally got to her off street. It was a girl who's part of the girl who sat next to me in class and was kind of mean to me. But I thought mean in a kind of like, I kind of like you, but, you know, kind of, you know, because when I, like I say, when I get people one on one, they're not quite so cruel. But in a group, holy shit. And so I was like, I can't believe she didn't. How, how long have people known about this? Sons of bitches. And so I, I could coast down the off shoot street a little bit because there was a little bit of a dip and then her driveway went down even further and so i had to do it i had to do it so i said have no fear you know arms up bike biking with no hands arms out to the side big old thing have no fear the goof is here and i saw her it was her house, and I saw her standing in the front yard, and there was kids all around, you know, 11, 12-year-old kids. And, uh, but we're the seniors, so we're the adults of the school, except for the adults. But we're the, we're, the old, big, we're the big kids. And I saw her look up in surprise, like everybody's head snapped up, and I saw her. And then I saw her just drop her head and her shoulders in defeat. And that's when it hit me. That they weren't like, oh, this will be funny. We'll exclude him and then we'll make fun of him for it and everything like that. They were planning on never telling me. They really didn't want me to show up. And when she dropped her head in defeat, I felt bad for her. I know, that's the kind of sap I am. That I feel for people. I'm, you're like, oh, you're so emo. I'm like, no, I just have a heart. Sorry if that bothers you. Maybe don't listen to my fucking podcast. How about that? It's called... You know, this episode is called Emotional Honesty. I, I got emotion in a lot of the titles. So maybe take a hint. But I went down the driveway anyway. I parked my bike and I was like, ah, cool. You know, like I was I was just going to be like funny about it. You know, funny, funny gets you away. Get a, you get away with things when you're funny. And as I was standing there and like, hey, how you doing? You know, because I knew everybody and I've gone to school with them for like five or six years. So I knew everybody, you know, some had been my friends when I was cute and some had lost that. Or, or hadn't overtly been like, I hate you, but just kind of sidled away over the years. And now they were sidling away over the minutes. And before I knew it, like that is a phrase that actually occurred. I looked around and there wasn't anybody in the front yard anymore, except me. I was like, huh, I wonder what's happening in the backyard that I, you know, I came late. So maybe there was like, there's the thing in the backyard, like a clown or something. I don't know. So I went around the backyard, and oh, that's where the punch is. Okay, good. I can get some punch. And uh, the backyard's where all the action is. That's a b bigger space. And I'm like, okay, good, good, good. Some people were going in and out of the house, but I didn't really know her that well to go in and in her house. And so I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. And I'm, I'm just sipping my punch and like looking around. And before I fucking knew it, the backyard was empty too. And I guess I'm slow because then I realized, wow. They're not even trying to be like overt, theatrical, bullying, cruel. They just really don't want to be around me. Like quietly, silently, calmly hate me. And I was like, wow, okay. So just, just to make sure, I went back to the front yard and they started moving, you know, and now I'm I'm paying attention to it. And I just see them and they're fucking sly about it too. 
One goes in the house, maybe go to the bathroom probably. Another person goes around the side. This person goes around that side. And, 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 but they're doing it. All of them are doing it. Like this was their plan. Like somehow they communicated the way ants communicate through antenna or some silent communication skill. And so I got on my bike and I left. And I was just like, you motherfuckers. You lousy motherfuckers. So yeah, I wanted to get out of that school. So when the opportunity to go to a private school again came up in seventh grade, uh, I took it and I got in and I, I could reinvent myself, you know, thank, thank God my parents, you know, had saved up money and didn't buy new cars and didn't take us on vacations and put everything into going, you know, school. I appreciated that. You know, I didn't care about the private school education. It wasn't any better or worse, but I just wanted a different school. And I lived in a district where it was determined which school I was going to go to. I couldn't go to any other public school unless we moved. We're not going to move. So going to private school is my only other option. And so I, I, I was very glad. But in seventh grade, some of the bullies came to my junior high. I was like, son of a bitch. And I felt, I'm like, oh, right, they're rich. We weren't rich. I had hand-me-down clothes, hand-me-down bicycle. We had the one family car. You know, we weren't rich. We put it all. Our next-door neighbors also had three kids. They went to public school. And like I say, they, they had a good education. They went to good colleges, so it's not like private school determines that. And they had an extension on their house, a pool table, a, 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 a playhouse out in the back for the kids, every sporting equipment, several cars, same size house as us. Same street as us, right next door to us. So my parents put everything into, into private school and they put everything into whatever. And and like I say, they, they went on to good schools and, you know, so I just wanted to get out and I did. But now the bullies are there. And so I have to overcome my social anxiety or risk losing my new identity. People were calling me Jeff. I liked that. So I took an acting class, okay? And I scored the lead in two of the three skits we performed for the assembly. It was a revelation. But it didn't help with the cold auditions that were required in high school, okay? So I managed to navigate junior high pretty well. I got some pretty good grades and I made some friends and I, I was pretty good in junior high. But then high school, you got to start all over again. And so you had, so, so I, cause I thought theater was a good way to overcome stage fright and taking acting classes and tapping into emotions. And this is the kind of kid that I was and I am. And since, you know, I found writing, but I still appreciate acting as a skill and as a, as a pursuit. But to audition, cold on a stage by yourself. You know, taking a class means you're rehearsing and you're working on it, you're workshopping it. You already got the part because you're in the class. But they didn't do that in high school. You had, if you wanted to be in the play, that's an extracurricular, you know? You had, I mean, you could take an acting class, but that wouldn't ex give you a part. So you had to be good without any help at all. And I wasn't. I thought it would, you know, when, when I heard like, oh, they're doing auditions, you know, I'm like, well, what are you supposed to audition? I didn't know about monologues or scenes or anything like that. They're like, well, they just want to hear you speak, your speaking voice. They want to hear you speak and how you present yourself for like a minute. I'm like, oh, a minute. 
So I could just read anything and time it, and then it's a minute. So I thought it would be funny if I sat on a stool that I brought out myself and read the opening introduction to my history book and, like, gave it some vim and vigor, you know? And I got laughs, and I was like, oh, I'm killing it. But I didn't get any parts, not even a walk-on. So I became a techie instead. I like singing, but I'm still shy about my singing voice. And so I try to mock myself before others can. But sometimes I do like my singing voice. I mean, I was in choir, I was in chorus. And the teacher seemed to like my voice, but the other kids would bully me. This is grade school again. I didn't do the singing in high school, but I I like to sing. And now I make like silly videos and stuff like that and audio recordings and whatnot and write silly lyrics and stuff. Writing is, is you know, seems to work out because I can be witty, but I can take the time to be witty. You know, I don't have to be witty on the spot. I mean, I can try to be witty on the spot, but writing allows me to be witty, witty at, at my leisure. And And I'm jumping over to singing because that's another thing that was a public speaking kind of singing, you know, shy thing, you know. Um, I like to sing. And sometimes, I, like I say, I do videos. and but, but I know they're not great. I don't have music accompaniment. That throws me off. So that's why I'm not a singer. And I haven't trained. So I do have a level of humility that keeps me grounded. Uh, I, I would be afraid to think too much of myself and then be proven dead wrong, perhaps. But then again, meh. I tell people in the office world where I'm stuck working for now that I'm an artist and that gets a variety of reactions. Some pity, some joy, some derision. But I'm not saying I'm adept, just that I pursue it and that I believe everyone should have some sort of creative outlet because it can fulfill us. And give us a sense of accomplishment born of our own internal judgment and taste and aesthetic. Hmm. I used to fear pain, a fact that my older brother used to use against me. He only had to threaten me with pain, and I would cower, and I hated that. Eventually, I couldn't take it anymore, and so I hit him square in the chest. Really hauled off, you know, pow. I didn't say I knew how to fight. He was stunned. He looked down at where I had hit him in disbelief and maybe a little respect. And then he proceeded to put me in a headlock and ram my skull into the oven door and then the refrigerator door across from that and then back and forth bouncing like a ball until both the oven and the refrigerator were thoroughly dented and I was about to black out. But... I was no longer afraid of his threats, and he no longer threatened me. He still bossed me around, but I argued back and wasted his time. I once argued with him about why he gets to pick the TV show for an hour, the entire length of his show. And then, when it was over, I stopped immediately triumphantly next what makes me mad liars cheats bullies cruelty 
and murderous violence. Fakers, scammers, and selfish, mean, aggressively close-minded bigots. Injustice. I sometimes get mad at asshole drivers, but then I try to remind myself that speeding, waste gas, wears down my car, stresses me out, makes cops take notice, and doesn't even ensure that I'll win. So I listen to a podcast, a book on tapes, some music, or write a scenario in my head where the asshole that's driving like an asshole launches himself off a cliff and lands on a garbage scow covered in diarrhea and he has his top down and he sinks into it up to his stupid toupee. What saddens me? People. People so hurt that they lash out with no concern. But not out of malice, just disillusionment. People that have endured tragedy and have no hope that life will ever improve. That makes me very sad. And I try to help by telling them of how things will always change. But most importantly, they themselves can choose to change how they react to the world, how they perceive it, and how they perceive themselves. The knowledge that things don't happen to us, but merely near us. And the only choice we always have is how we react to things. I get sad when I experience a loss, of course. But I also know that given time, I will get over it to the point where I can function and express joy again. When people refuse help and fuck up as a result, screwing themselves over out of spite, I feel pity. What's next? What makes me feel hopeful and glad? Having things to look forward to and enjoying those things once they arrive. There's no guarantee that they'll be as good as I expected. There's a good chance they'll be worse. But even when that happens, it improves my ability to tell the difference, if nothing else. Sometimes disappointment can lead to disillusionment and discontent, sure. But that's when hope can be helpful. It may seem unrealistic in the face of that, but since attitude, outlook, and perception are yours to control, the choice remains yours. It's work, granted, but beneficial to happy survival. So use your emotions. But first, you have to honestly face them. Ha ha.